Welcome to the Call to Action Podcast, where we bring you incredible people and even more incredible stories with discussions and topics about what it takes to sacrifice everything to overcome hardships and failures to achieve success. Our guests heard the call. Now it's your turn. Happy New Year, y'all. It's 2021. My goodness, what a year we had last year. Cannot wait to keep pushing forward, keep grinding. Took some time off the new year, spent some valuable time with the family, with loved ones, reset the mind, the soul, ready, and we're back. Got a heater for you on this one. Episode 13, part one with Nate Brock, this Marine Scout sniper, now doing private personal tactical defense training and firearms training with civilians and local law enforcement. He's a hell of a guy, first and foremost. We were sipping on grandpa's old cough medicine while doing this one. We had a great time, but he's also an incredibly intelligent, intellectual guy that provides a lot of insight and value to the current political and overall American society right now and we dove into some really controversial topics. He had a little bit of story time for us overseas on some deployments. We know you're going to love it. Nate, thanks bro for coming on. Can't wait to get up there and do some training with you in the next few weeks with the boys. Do some firearms training with Defend, which is his company. Go check him out. Nate Brock, episode 13. Roll it. Our next guest has one of the strongest American names I've ever heard, and it's fitting because he's a true American hero. A Santa Barbara, California native, he joined the Marine Corps after 9-11 and initially served in the infantry, then as a PSD, personal security detail, and then as an elite operator in the Marine Scout Sniper Platoon deploying to Iraq in 2009 and 2010. After retiring from the military, his desire to serve his country and humanity continued while working with a nonprofit called Direct Relief International, where he deployed to Haiti uh, twice in 2010 in efforts to help NGOs, non-governmental organizations, and hospitals to get medical supplies after the horrific earthquake that devastated that country. Following his five-year stint with the nonprofit, he moved into private security for a year, doing executive protection for clients based in Santa Barbara and Los Angeles. Basically, an overwhelmingly qualified babysitter at times, I would assume, for some celebrities and big business personnel, but I digress. Nowadays, he is the range master for the Santa Barbara Police Department for the past eight years, and in his spare time, he runs a firearms training company, Defend, where he teaches personal firearm training and tactics derived from real-world scenarios and experiences making the training from him the highest of quality, which is what separates him from some of the quote-unquote influencer firearm instructors. As if that wasn't impressive enough, he's a father of two to two beautiful daughters, a husband, and has a kinesiology degree from one of the most prestigious kinesiology departments in the country, Westmont College, also my alma mater. He's a warrior a pipe hitter built like a Brock. His favorite music artist is Lady Gaga, and he's a man your kids should look up to when they're older because he embodies what being a true American hero really is. 
give it up for our next guest to the show, Nate Brock. <laughs> wow, you you guys are good on your Ow! intro. Wow. <laughs> Dude, thanks for coming on, brother. I appreciate yeah, it, my man. Absolutely. Real quick. How, Welcome on. You said, you said Lady Gaga. Where did you get that from? <laughs> I don't know, man. I heard rumors somewhere. Somewhere. I remember some, some uh, locker room talks about something. We that might have to jump funny. into that story. That... Oh my gosh, that is that's funny. Uh, you're actually not too far off from the lady. Gaga Does that bring thing. back some memories? It brings back some memories. Okay, I think that's what you okay. Got <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I remember some stories about you guys uh, getting ready for for some ops, and uh, I think you told me that you guys would initially listen to some pretty heavy metal stuff, and that got you a little too amped up. So one time, Lady Gaga popped on, and you guys had some success on some missions, and uh, that kind of stuck through. Am I am I far off, or was that correct? No, it was just funny. I, I haven't heard Lady Gaga like that in a while. Yeah, no, you're, you're not far off at all. Yeah, it's funny. I think that's when she became pretty popular. Um, I think that was in like 2009, and yeah. Yeah, with all her, uh, man, I'm trying to remember some of her songs, but yeah, we used and to if blast she's that. listening now, we used to blast that stuff all the time before mission. That's so funny. Totally That's so sick that. in the head. That's so awesome. <laughs> so before we jump into the story, and we can jump back into that maybe in more detail, we're gonna put you through the brain freeze frenzy. It's right. a wild array of random questions fired off rapid style. Are you ready? Woo! Yeah, let's do it. What is your favorite EDC? And for those that don't know, uh, it's an everyday carry. Ooh, my favorite EDC. Um, I would say my favorite EDC everyday carry is a good friend of mine who owns uh, Browse Blades. He actually made this incredible knife that actually has like a seatbelt cutter on it. Uh, it's got like a little punch so you can break glass with it. And the blade is really, really smooth. So it's a it's a really sweet knife. It was like a collaboration um, with a former special force dude that wow. they put it together, and it just became a really hot item. And a, he's a good friend of mine. I actually grew up with him. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah. So I carry that knife with me all the time. So it's probably my favorite EDC. Okay, so so no uh, no firearm EDC probably hard to do in California, here, huh? Well, no. I mean, if you're talking about firearms, then yeah. I mean, I would uh, my favorite everyday carry if you're talking about firearms, uh, probably the Glock 19. That's probably mm. my go-to for most things. That's what Ben nice. and I were just chatting about. <laughs> yeah, I, I would have guessed that actually. That's a pretty typical one with with a lot of you military guys. It's a uh, what? Why? Why would you like? Why is that one so hot on the on the play for you guys? You know, I think when it comes down to it, I think the Glock 19, um, it's just a good, it's just a good weapon, uh, weapon system overall. It, it's small enough to conceal, uh, conceal carry and it's, it's still very accurate too. And it's very reliable. So I'd say that majority of, I would probably say majority of Americans probably carry that weapon system only because wow. it's small and it's, you know, it's still like a full size gun, but it's an, it's easy to, to carry and pack away without it being noticed. For sure. Are you uh are you an appendix carry or are you like it on on the side? How do you like to carry it? You know, it, it always depends. I'm a very like mission specific. So if I'm mm. you know, if I'm out on a date, obviously not now with COVID and all that, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I, if I'm wearing my skinny jeans, I'm probably wearing it appendix carry. If I'm wearing maybe like a suit or something a little bit more um you know, something that's more baggy, probably about my three o'clock and then with kids, it's usually in some kind of backpack or some kind of way to like a fanny pack or something that I can get to it easily. 
Man, we're rocking those skinny jeans. Are you sure it's not not some other bulge that you're worried about? You know? <laughs> well, that's why you have to be really good about how you conceal it. True. Oh. Very true. Yep. Wow, Nate, welcome. Thank you for your service. Thank, uh, thank you for everything Thanks, that you yes. do. I've, I've got the little bit of a run up before uh, getting started. Jumping into number two, what is your morning routine? Ooh. You know, that's a good question because with COVID and all that, I think things have changed a lot. Um, but I would say right now, currently my morning routine uh, depends on my day at work. I'm usually up about 4.30. Um, I usually up wow, about 4- Jocko. Yeah, Jeez. around 4.30, 5 o'clock. Um, so if I'm not getting up in the morning ready for work, I'm usually, depending on some of the days, I'm usually up around 5-ish, 5.30. Uh, start with, you know, with some coffee and usually I'm just trying to hang out with the wife because, you know, before the day gets started with the kids and all that, things get a little bit crazy, but usually just kind of get up, drink my coffee, just kind of set in for the the morning. And then, uh, from there I'm either going to work. Um, yeah, sometimes if I can get my, my butt up, sometimes I'll go try to work out, but usually that's not until the evening. What, uh, so what kind of coffee crazy. you like to drink? Oh man, if I have to make it myself, uh, Peerless Coffee, I think it's their like okay. Hawaiian, their Hawaiian roast. But honestly, like if I had, if I have to make something really quick, usually at work, um, I usually do like Black Rifle Coffee. They're just those are yeah, good guys. Yeah, dude, it's good. I, that's yeah. all I buy, man. That's all I buy. I like to try and support uh, support the military totally. guys, the veterans, as much yeah. as I can. So I always buy products. Uh, and, and my God, dude, uh, just straight up, if you're to do a blind test, the, the, it tastes so good, man. It's yeah, great. did a tremendous it's job. Really, oh, yeah. It's actually really good coffee. Um, for a while, when they first started coming out, you know, I kind of thought it was maybe kind of a gimmick. It would be some kind of like cheap you know, shitty bland of something. And honestly, it's really good coffee. I was really surprised when they started, um, you know, pushing that stuff out and I, I got a bag of it. I was actually really impressed with it. Apparently Evan Hafer, like one of the uh, owners, uh, I think he was a soft guy. Mm-hmm. He also went to CIA, uh, post, post the military and he got the CIA, because he was he was managing because he was there for like nine years and I think he was mm-hmm. managing uh, the finances towards the end of it because he was kind of a yeah. higher up and yep. he got them to buy him like a twenty thousand dollar coffee uh, roasting machine <laughs> to bring overseas. They got it shipped there. I'm not and he surprised. Started, and he started doing the roasting there, and that's kind of how the story yeah. uh, began. And. Yeah. And apparently Evan goes to like Colombia. He goes to Costa Rica. He goes to the plant farms and, and hand checks the quality of the beans himself before yeah. he does deals with them. So yeah, I'm not surprised. They, they really do a good job. I mean, you, you, you military vets go beyond the call of duty in every aspect, uh, to, to make sure quality control is there, dude. So spot yeah, it's on good with the black crowd. It's That's the truth. a little fun fact, uh, Matt best. Um, he actually grew up mm. in Santa Barbara and him and I used to play paintball with each other back in the day. No hey. way. Yeah. That's so sick. It, it's actually really funny. He, um, he was definitely not the guy he is now, you know, this, you know, tall, strong studly looking dude he was kind of a skinny i have a skinny dweeb kid um his nickname was actually pinky and we used to play (laughs) we used to play paintball all the time with him and his brothers and stuff and um yeah it was just so funny to see him start getting really popular on youtube and and now he was uh, black rifle coffee so yeah 
it'd be cool if they, uh, you know, if they opened something here in Santa Barbara, but I don't think it would, I don't think it would do so well. <laughs> yeah. If his nickname not, is at least Pinky. Not right now. At least not right now. <laughs> must be true. <laughs> so when deployed overseas, what was your favorite MRE flavor? Oh gosh. <laughs> um, if I if I had to go for a go to, um, I don't know why, but it's probably the grossest one. I don't know why, but I love the uh, the beef patty. There was like a barbecue okay. sauce in there that probably was the only thing that was actually made like from real ingredients to make barbecue <laughs> sauce because everything else, who knows what that stuff is made out of? But I isn't say- it just packed with calories and constipates the shit out of you yeah i mean you start eating those things for two three four five you know two weeks later i mean you just end up wanting to just go hungry i feel like (laughs) because those things are disgusting you're not the first person to say that do you reuse any other parts of the meal like you know the heat packs for example you know it's funny i think when you have the time to use those heat packs you know, you might, I, I would take sometimes to, you know, put the water in and, you know, half the time they wouldn't work. And I think half the time you're just so annoyed that you're eating an MRE. So you just throw that thing out and just eat it cold. Oh no. Um, yeah. It was funny. I actually brought some back for some family members cause they were really interested in uh, wanting to eat those. And I'm like, okay, fine. So of course I had, <laughs> I, I had, I don't yeah, care. I had, by all means go for it. And <laughs> You know, we had him open them. We had him eat them cold. And of course, like, oh, this is disgusting. And I'm like, yeah, welcome to my world. And so they're like, hey, let's put this in the microwave. I'm like, okay, let's try it. And I swear to you, it like made it three times worse. Putting that stuff in the oh. microwave was the worst idea. Just oh. nasty. But yeah. Well, it's <laughs> pure chemicals probably, huh? Oh, yeah. Who knows what that <laughs> stuff is made out of? It's not cancer in a bag. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean the Tabasco sauce, I feel like every MRE I ever opened up, all the Tabasco sauce was always broken or didn't work. So aside oh, from God. that, maybe once in a while I eat the gum, but that's, that's pretty much it. You probably, I just eat the main meal and then throw the rest away. Damn. Damn. All right. Next, if you could get drunk or high with anyone in history, who would it be and why? Oh, dude, that's a good question. Are you allowed to answer this question? <laughs> yes. Who yes, writes these I questions? Totally, I will totally answer this. I don't know why in history, like, are we talking like, like a, someone that is not currently living or has to be somebody. Anybody. That's up to you. Yeah, that's up to you. Oh man. Well, I don't know if it really falls under this, but I don't know why I would totally love to just drink with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't know why. I mean, it's the Terminator. Why not? I would too. Um, I, I may be able to make that happen. I'm if you just made saying. that happen, okay. So this is a side note. He, I don't get starstruck. I, I could care less about who you are in the movie industry or in the entertainment industry. But for some reason, if Schwarzenegger like walked through my door, I would probably shit myself. I don't know why. <laughs> I just love that guy. Everything so, about he does, all his movies. I grew up watching him. Um, you know, he Me also too, does a lot man. of really cool charity stuff, but I would love to like sit in a tank with him and drink and smoke a cigar. That would probably be like one of the biggest things on my bucket list. That is awesome. So the craziest thing. So my wife is a uh, retina uh, specialist, oh, a that's surgeon. Right. She works on the same floor as the guy who did my two back surgeries mm-hmm. and he, the guy who does my back surgeries is like best friends with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Wow. Mm. 
and um, he goes to his house all the time. And I've kind of befriended my my surgeon, um, and I, I could ask him to try because they they do parties <laughs> once in a while. So next time there's you know it probably have to be when it's like opened up a little bit. But yeah. I could try and work some things. I'm not saying you know I, I'm no special person by any means, but I think <laughs> if there's one person deserving of it, you know you. You've served this country. You deserve something like that, dude. Let, let, let's see if we can make that happen when COVID dies <laughs> And if down. anyone's I, curious why Ben would be so close to this doctor, it's I because know. he's broken his back seven times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some funny stories behind that, but uh, we will keep moving on. What oh, is What is the funniest, craziest thing that's happened to you on the gun range by either you or a student of yours? Oh, man, I... Gosh, we could be here for we could be here for hours. <laughs> that many? Okay. Oh, you oh, know. Good God. I mean, if someone shot their foot off or their, you know, their you hat know, or... I, I can honestly say say that in all my years in doing this, luckily I've never had any major incidents under like my control. Um, mm-hmm. Good. But I've been to classes before, um, whether it's like you know, like advanced training or recertification. Um, or maybe it's just something that I'm really interested in. So I'll go take a course and, you know, I always try to, you know, vet out the guys too, to make sure that, you know, they have a good background and all that. But what's amazing to me and what's kind of sad to see is you have a lot of these guys that, um, I, I, I call them the YouTube commandos because they're the kind <laughs> of guys that, you know, they go on YouTube, they see what's cool. They try oh, to do no. you know, these new things and, do yeah, they, they come really, with the whole tactical belt with yeah, like 40, and, 40 mags, no. you know? <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, exactly. You're, yeah, you're nailing it on the head. Um, you have these guys that come out and I'm just like, where did you come from? Like literally, where did you come from? And where did you from get all this? show, bro. Exactly. <laughs> like they literally Googled like tactical something cool and whatever comes up, they just buy it all. So you have these guys that come in like these really like decked out, you know, thousands of dollars of equipment and then they come on the range and, you know, you're paying a lot of money for this course. And, you know, you see a lot of these guys getting kicked off the range because one, they're not safe Two, they don't know what they're doing. So they're like, you know, they're, they're uh, muzzling people with their weapon or, you know, they'll like, <laughs> they'll shoot the ground because their weapon wasn't on safe and their fingers on the trigger. Accidental they, they look- discharge. Yeah, uh, man. I mean, there's, there's other stories, but that's the first thing that comes to my mind is just the, Oh the YouTube commandos that show up to these, some of these courses and you're like, what are you doing? And I get it. Like some guys that didn't do the military law enforcement, you know, I know a lot of pro shooter guys that are really, really good shooters they are better than I am better than some of the military guys I know, but there's like this different demographic of like this, this group of people <laughs> for sure, <laughs> like, man. you yeah. know, they have to spend so much money on all this gear and then they end up getting kicked off the range. So they pay all this money for all this gear for the <laughs> oh training and they're there for like 10 minutes. And then the instructor's like, get the hell off. Our range. You're going to shoot and, somebody in the face. <laughs> and they couldn't hit the broadside of a barn or something. Oh have yeah. Ever, they, yeah. I've, have you ever heard of a uh, tactical asshole actual, the IG handle? No, I have not. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to send it to you, man. It is. <laughs> That's gotta be the, yours, Ben. Uh, no, your account. I, I cannot claim it. It's from a it's from a former dev guru guy, um, and he actually. We'll, we'll get into this topic of uh, you know freedom of speech and um, and cancel culture, but he actually his his page got canceled and then no got way. brought back. Is this on Instagram? <laughs> yes, and got brought back. But um, God so, bless. 
tactical asshole actual and he just calls out so you know for those who don't know what dev grew are uh it's seal team six he was uh you know he was there for about i think i think on, on dev grew for maybe like six years or something and then he was also on mm. you know some seal team three or something for 10 years prior but he wow. uh he calls out other seals too so there's like another it was pretty funny recently he called out some some other guy who was running some tactical training um somewhere in the east coast and he just he blasts everybody man i mean <laughs> he, and he hates steven seagal I oh, know, like, yeah. i mean he goes off on, and steven seagal had to block him and anyways it's all a thing i'll send you the you have to uh, send it to link. me i, I love guys like that that's what we need more of you'll get a crack out of it man I so love it. anyway I love it. <laughs> all right what's one of the best things you've learned about yourself during quarantine and one thing you've allowed yourself to just say fuck it and let oh, loose for man. yourself. Those are good questions. You Dude. know, uh, gosh, I think one one thing I've definitely learned, if I'm being completely honest, is just having so much patience for my kids because, you know, with schools being canceled and, you know, parks being shut down and zoos being closed, they're at home all the time. And I love them, but I'm a I'm a big believer that, you know, we need to get out, got to do things, get the kids out to go play yeah. and socialize. Amen. So for me, like I always consider myself a really patient person, really patient, but man, I have, I have definitely, to be honest, I have definitely lost my shit multiple times with my kids just because they're always home, you know, they're cranky, they're around us all the time. So definitely learning. Yeah. How to be patient for sure. And then man, just something to like, like, I just don't really care about. I, I think I've just been super uh, relaxed on just not having expectations right now, given mm. everything going on. You know, you think school's going to start and then it's shut down. You think a restaurant's yeah. going to be open and it's shut down and just kind of just trying to live life, but just don't have expectations anymore. You know, that just kind of be go in with the, the moment. Yeah. Be in the yeah. moment, just kind of live in the moment. And, you know, we can worry, we can, we can stress about everything, but you know, it's, it's out of our control at this point. You know, there's nothing we can really do at this point. So 100% man. So, yeah. Amen to that. Yeah. So what is one of the best hazing stories getting into the scout sniper platoon? Oh man. Good hazing Come on, story. give us a good one. I know there's one in there. Oh, don't, don't hold back. No PC culture here, man. You can let it rip. <laughs> yeah. Not that one. Next one. Next. No. Well, no, no. um, Gosh, man, you know, it's, it feels like it's, oh man, it feels like it's so long ago, but I would say probably one of the best things is we, when we were doing our, our sniper in doc, just to even get into the platoon and all that, um, you know, I don't remember, I think it was like three or four days long and you're just constantly, you know, you're just running around, you're, you're tired, you're hungry, you know, you're, you're drained. Um, and I'll never forget. So we're, we're sitting, it's, I don't know what time it was. It was probably, you know, zero dark 30. I think we were in our ghillie suits. We're just kind of hanging out. They're making us, you know, roll around in the dirt and we're getting wet. And I think it was maybe raining. And one of the, uh, one of my good buddies, actually, uh, who's what he actually was one of my team leaders now. Um, and a good friend of mine, he, uh, he's one of the instructors and he walked up and they brought in this, uh, this pizza. I think it was a Rusty's pizza. No, it was a Domino's pizza or maybe like a pizza hut pizza. And they, you know, they're, they're sitting there, all the, all the instructors are sitting there eating a pizza. And I don't remember how many guys there were. There might've been like 10 of us or 15 of us or something. And one of the instructors looks over and goes, Hey, you know, if you want, 
you guys can eat this pizza and sit in the back of the Humvee and you can, you can stop this. And without hesitation, one of the guys, I don't remember his name. He just got up, walked over. He had no shame. He was like, I'm done. <laughs> He's like, forget this. He gets up, he grabs that pizza and he just chowed down on like three, four pieces, oh jumped in the back God. of the Humvee and he was done. I was like, wow, that was pretty easy. He just convinced <laughs> a guy to basically change a whole lifetime career and opportunities over some pizza and just literally just, yeah, okay. So he ate that pizza. <laughs> and then and then later on, um, I think probably, you know, again, hours later, it was in the morning and the instructors came back with like breakfast burritos. And uh, at that time, I don't know, there was probably only 10 of us at that time. And so they gave us a breakfast burrito and they put it like in the center of this little like room that we were kind of outside in. And we just, they said, all right, here you go. Cause we'd had any food probably in almost, uh, you know, probably almost two days. Jesus. And we just destroyed that burrito. It was a, it wasn't that big of a burrito, <laughs> but I, I imagine it was just like a bunch of zombies, just like, you know, ripping a part of a, a body or something, you know, there was tortilla flying everywhere and eggs flying everywhere, just eating food. And going at it because we were so hungry was there any but were there any like hazing stories like getting into it uh like you know getting past the selection process and then getting into your platoon and uh did they like duct tape you up to the wall for like six hours or or do anything <laughs> crazy to you guys like that or was it just uh you know not gosh man trying to think about that not that I can remember, but I mean, hazing for us in like the, um, in the cyber platoon, you know, if you really messed up, I mean, really messed up. I mean, you definitely paid for it. You know, you had to mm. try to think there was, uh, there's a term called like, you know, um, a sand cookie where yeah. they would make you, you know, get you, get you in your ghillie suit. And then, you know, they'd make you run, you know, I don't know how many miles and we'd run up and then, you know, they'd douse with water and then we had to roll in the dirt, you know, and, and that was the kind of the hazing we got. It wasn't like, you know, funny hazing, maybe like with a duct tape or, you oh, know, okay. maybe they lock you in a closet or something and then, you know, yeah. or, you know, hit you with some, I don't know. But usually if it was hazing, it's because we did something, you know, we weren't supposed to, or, you know, we messed up on a, on a training thing or, you know, maybe we didn't, you know hit the target we were supposed to hit or something but usually the hazing was was a punishment you know we there's a thing called uh find the pole so you basically had to put your feet elevated you put your feet up at a like almost like a 45 degree uh, where is angle, this going and you had to basically you know do push-ups with your team members so hazing just meant you got more pain uh, okay. and you definitely oh. didn't want to you definitely didn't want to get hazed if you messed up Sounds to me like you might have blacked out for some of those. <laughs> they might be lost. They might be lost memories. They might have <laughs> been have lost to... memories. Yeah, I mean, gosh, that was so long ago. But hazing yeah. amnesia. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, good times. I mean, it always just makes you stronger, and for sure, you know, yeah. absolutely. That's why you what. That's why what you do is what you do. And hey, yeah. from your time in the military, what has been one great and also one shitty piece of leadership advice that you've been given. Oh my gosh. Oh, you know, yeah, no, that's a good question. You know, I think from a leadership, from a leadership uh, standpoint, um, one of my favorite captains now, uh, I think he's a, he's either a major now, or maybe he, he might be out. But one of the things that I I'll always remember that he did is he just led. I, I know it sounds kind of cliche and, and stupid, but he was a good example of somebody who led 
by example, meaning if he said something, he did it himself. So if he said, Hey guys, we need to, I'm just going to make it up. We need to scrape gum off the, you know, underneath all these tables. True story. You would, you would find him there and he'd be there 15 minutes early already doing it before anybody showed up. I mean, he was that kind of guy. So I think just leading by example, um, is one of the things I took away from him. Um, a quick story. I will never forget. We, uh, our, our side platoon, we were kind of waiting to see who was going to be our new captain. We had this, um, I think he was a first Lieutenant. I don't even remember his name cause he was such a, a douche, but he, uh, this, we had this like Lieutenant that was kind of there, kind of not, he was just, he just didn't want to be in that, in our platoon anyway. So they got rid of him. They brought in the captain and, you know, we're sitting here kind of like waiting to see, okay, who's this next guy going to be, you know, what's he going to do, you know, new leadership, here we go. And he walks in and one of the things that I, I'll never forget where we're sitting there in the kind of a circle and our captain comes in and he, he goes, he comes into the room. He's like, let me, let me just tell you guys one thing. Let's get one thing straight here. And we're thinking, oh, great, here it comes. He's going to say he's like, you know, the, the mighty warrior. He's the king of Kings or something. <laughs> he goes, I work for you guys you don't work for me. And that was like such a mind blowing concept to me because here's a captain, right? He's an officer, you know, he's been trained since the time he went to uh, officer cannon school. He's been trained. Like you're a leader of Marines. You're, you're always right. And here's a guy literally saying, I work for you guys. Like you tell me what you need and I'll make it happen. And that like totally changed my confidence, at least in like some Marine Corps officers, but he was the guy that like led by example. Um, Worst leadership example, man, I could be here for hours. You know, it's, it's the complete <laughs> first opposite. First one that comes to mind. Yeah, first one that comes to mind. You know, we, we just have guys that would literally show up. They would say, you know, two things about what they wanted you to do. And then they literally turn around and walk away. And you're like, well, that's it? Like, okay. Yeah. I, I guess right. we'll see you tomorrow. Like, are you going to come with us? Are you going to do this on the mission? Are you... And we had a lot of that um, in other different, like in other platoons, other companies. Um, actually, I don't know if this is really a leadership thing, but one we had this one mission. I remember in Iraq, we we I don't know how many days it was. It's probably like two or three, maybe four days. We finally come back. Uh, we're dead tired. We hadn't had you know we've been eating eating MREs for you know God knows how many days. And all we wanted to do was just eat some regular chow. We were on base. It was safe. It was secure. I just you know we just wanted like regular food. And as we're walking out, comes around the corner is, uh, this, uh, the Sergeant major, um, I forget. He was like part of like RTC one or something. And he walks out, he's like clean shaving. His uniform's like really good. His, you know, he's got a pistol on his hip. It's all clean. He obviously doesn't go out in the field and do missions. And he starts getting mad at us because half of us have like, like gilly bottom tops or, and, and, you know, our, our, our faces have face paint on them. Clearly anybody would look and go, Hey, these guys obviously just got back. Maybe <laughs> I shouldn't go mess with them. Right. Anybody right. with some kind of common sense. And this guy just like starts yelling at us because no joke. He goes, who authorized you to wear those boots? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I looked down and sure enough, we didn't have our like Marine Corps issued boots. We had, you know, in a cyber platoon, we're allowed to like customize things and right. have type of equipment for, you know, mission specific. And I think I had some of these like high speed, you know, Convert boots. And this guy just started like reaming into me and I'm a corporal. So I'm just standing there like getting yelled at by the sergeant major and a buddy of mine who's a sergeant's getting yelled to all because of our boots. Like literally the boots 
were That's the problem. ridiculous. And so luckily our captain was like around the corner, heard like this commotion. He comes around the corner and basically just tells the sergeant major to like, you know, go F off. And he's like, hey, I got it. Don't worry. These guys are good. We'll take care of it. But like, that's a great example of like, why does that matter? Like, why yeah. did you decide you had to interject your opinion on some boots? Like, pick your battles. Yeah, pick your battle. And to yeah. me, in a leadership position, like he should have come up to us and be like, hey, I'm glad you guys are you guys are safe. Hey, you guys. Good. Yeah. You know, he should have been like, hey, I'll, I'll walk you guys to the chow hall. Tell me how, you know, anything. Good op, you know, like, yeah. But, like yeah. To- but instead, he was yelling at us because they weren't Marine Corps issued boots. So good Lord. Yeah. So last couple here. What's your favorite pre-op or workout music? Oh, pre-op workout music. Oh man. You know, I don't know why, but I always find myself listening to Jay Z. I don't know why. Interesting. Tom Ford. I don't know why. And it's funny. That's a good because, song, man. That hits. Well, that here's hits. my question to you guys: Are you guys uh, shocked that I say Jay Z? Because anytime no. I tell people that I like rap, people are like floored. They're like, "Wait a minute, you don't like you don't like country, or really? you, know, you don't like yeah, Heavy, I, like, not, you don't I'm like big... you don't like Five Finger Death Punch." Like, is that, <laughs> they, well, I think I do. What it has to do with is probably a lot of assumptions that people put the military, you know, special operations guys into Mm. a lot of them listen to country and, you know, they think of them a certain way, but nah, man, uh, Jay-Z classic rock. Yeah. Jay-Z's, uh, definitely up there for me on one of my playlists for yeah, sure. I could listen to Jay-Z all, all day and little Wayne for me. I mean, yeah, I'll rip it. The the older stuff. He got kind of weird lately, but, uh, yeah, Yeah, all those guys, (laughs) For sure. Yeah, all his older stuff. I don't know why. I still I still listen to it now. And That's yeah, I always awesome. find myself listening to Jay-Z. Hell yeah. All right, last question. All right. Maybe the best one. Longest <laughs> shot you've hit, either a literal or figurative silhouette target. Um gosh, man. Um I would say it kind of depends on the weapon system. Um Using mm-hmm. the Barrett 50 cal, um, I've hit targets up to 2,000 yards, no problem. Jeez, um, that's no mostly ways. that's mostly because of the you know no the ballistics and the and the rating of the the rifle itself. Um, I don't believe you. Yeah, that takes <laughs> I, a I bit got of videos. skill. <laughs> oh yeah, we're gonna have to oh, see yeah. some of that. I want to see some of that. Videos. Um, but you know, we used to shoot targets up to about 2,000 yards, even probably a little a little bit further than that. But wow. if we were using like our M4E. Um, like our A1s or A2s, um, easily no problem. 1,000, 1,200 yards with that, with a 7.62. Wow. That's incredible. For people that don't, like, how, that's how many football fields? Well, I mean, if you're talking 1,200, you're talking 12 football fields. That's insane, man. Yeah, that's 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 insane. I, I can't even fathom that. I, uh, I've been to the range a few times in Arizona, and uh, I guess for me, rifles are a little bit easier, especially when you can like set it up on a system and, and kind of mm-hmm. like practice. The pistols mm-hmm. is what I really want to start working on. So yeah. uh, 
man, we, we got to come up to Santa Barbara and uh, yes. do some training with you. We would really like to do that. So we'll talk yeah, about that after that's, this. That's kind of my, that's kind of my bread and butter right now is like handguns and rifles. So perfect. Yeah, absolutely. We'll make, we'll we, make it happen. All right, dude, for sure. So let's jump into your story, man. Uh, you're an incredible individual. What was your home life like growing up? I mean, how were you as a kid? And uh, did you always want to be a, a soldier and, and get into the Marines? Or or did it just the path kind of fi- found you essentially at a certain point? How, how did that look like? Yeah, you know, yeah, so a little bit about my background. Um, yeah, as a kid, my, my actually, my parents were missionaries. So I, I grew up overseas. I grew up, wow. I grew up in uh, Benin, West Africa, uh, Australia, Papua New Guinea. Um, and I would say that I think at an early age, when I started noticing, you know, just kind of the different cultures and, and the different types of governments, you know, as a kid, um, every time we came back to the United States, I always just felt like, Hey, I'm an American, you know, this is actually my home country, even though we, we lived in these other uh, foreign countries. And I, I don't know. I just felt like this, I'm sure like a lot of veterans, um, even before nine 11, I, I always kind of felt like this calling, like, Hey, I live in this country. I should serve it in some capacity. Um, so I just always felt this kind of this desire to want to be in the military. Um, I really wanted to be a Marine for one, for one uh, reason or another, but the movie that I always went to as a kid was uh, John Wayne's uh, Sands of uh, Iwo Jima, you know, that nice classic yeah. uh, battle, you know, World War II and the Marines fighting on the islands uh, during the island campaign. So I'd always watch as a kid and I always thought that's what I wanted to do. Um, that's but awesome. yeah, home life was great. I mean, yeah, my, my dad, you know, my dad was a really active guy. He was a, you know, a hunter. Um, he was really good with his hands. He did a lot of mechanic stuff. Uh, he was a welder too. Um, but home life was good. I was the oldest of five kids. So I grew up in a pretty big family, come from a very big uh, Danish uh, family life. So, you know, family was really important uh, being with, um, you know, with family and, and, and get togethers were a really big part of my life. So I just felt kind of the, like this, like family element to it that I, like, I really loved. Um, yeah. And then, you know, growing up, you know, pretty average, you know, did some sports here and there, worked, had jobs. And then, uh, yeah, I'm sure like a lot of veterans my age now, you know, when, uh, we saw those, uh, planes at the t- uh, twin towers, my dad comes running into my room. I'll never forget. I was literally just laying in bed. And my dad opens up the door and goes, you need to come look at this right now. I think we're being attacked. And sure enough, you know, I, I was in high school. I think I was, I think I was like a sophomore, maybe a junior. I think I was a junior. No, I was a sophomore, I think. Rushed into and saw, you know, the, the second plane crashing in. And from there I knew, I knew exactly oh, like, no. okay, you know, this is, this is kind of game time. Like I knew from that point on that if I was going to do it, it was, it was, it was now. And then, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I joined, I officially joined the Marine Corps in 2003, but I actually didn't go to boot camp until 2004. Um, and then, yeah, did that time in the Marine Corps and yeah, the rest is history. I I remember specifically where I was when the, the towers hit. I was, uh, man, I think I was in like sixth grade and I was walking, we were, you know, you walk in groups of, um, in your, in your class groups to each different different yeah. uh class schedule and i remember they they pulled us aside and we were watching it on those pull out um oh, sad. what do you call it those pull out television sets that you plug in <laughs> yeah. with it, you know and it was just like i was so young 
you couldn't quite understand and digest what was happening, but you knew something really like you could just see it on all the adult faces and it was just you're yeah. like what the what the hell's going on and yep. i remember the the announcement over the speaker class is done school's over for the next week go home and yep. uh man i just remember sitting there and and just <laughs> trying to digest this and understand it and uh it was insane i don't know if you guys remember where you were but uh yeah that that's a moment i think a lot of people will will never forget and um yeah yeah for me that that was definitely my time where i felt like i felt really called um not just as like an american but i felt really called to really you know serve this country you know we we do have a lot of problems in this country and that could be maybe another podcast later but you know i, <laughs> oh, I we'll, think at we'll the time to it for sure yeah <laughs> but you i have just that felt, drive i just felt that that calling like hey man we've literally been attacked and you know thousands of people have been killed and it's affected you know a nation so yeah that was that was definitely like I will never forget like standing in my my parents living room watching these towers crash and going to school that day and just thinking I've got like two more years until I can officially like sign up or something and you know I I did the, the minute I could I did but that was definitely like a defining moment for me for sure Was that hard for your parents to accept or they kind of understood that the severity of the situation and and what you were fighting for was, was something that was, uh, yeah, they were, no, they were really supportive. I mean, even as a kid, you know, I've, I'd always, you know, dress up in camouflage and run around with, Mm. you know, guns and, you know, hide in bushes. So they, they always knew that I was really, you know, into it and that I would do it at some point. Uh, but really that maybe their wish for you even. You know, I think it could have been, but I also think that they were, they were really big on, um, you know, doing something, um, you know, doing something other than something for yourself, you know, kind of self-sacrificing yourself for something uh, other than yourself. And so whether I, you know, I did the military or I did something else, I think they would still support it. But I think that, you know, it was definitely hard for my mom, obviously, to you know, join the military at a young age and all that. For but, sure. I uh, definitely had a, had a huge, them. yeah, I had, a, I had a huge support group. So that was good. So from there, you, you get into the Marines, you join the infantry. Do you deploy in the infantry for a deployment? No. So I did, I did the infantry for about a year or so. And one of the reasons why I wanted to uh, go into the scout sniper uh, platoon is I just did not feel like I fit that type of um, personality to to be the infantry know, personality. The infantry personality. Right. I was like, why are we doing this? You I was say very it. like, this makes no right. sense. You know, I wanted to be more of a thinker. I wanted to be more of an individual operator. I wanted to work in small teams. Um, so I did about a year, and then when I got into the sniper platoon, that's when I did our deployments and and the training and stuff. So I did most of it, obviously, in the sniper platoon. Do you have any notable? kind of operations that you guys got to do overseas uh with the scout snipers that maybe you could share with us maybe you don't have to go into super detail but just something that was either really cool maybe involved i don't know um even if it's just like overwatch and and kind of just gaining information and intel but maybe you guys were out there for a few days and it was just kind of intense conditions etc but yeah Pretend we're going to edit this out. Even <laughs> so, t- so tell you the, the, the secret black op missions, right? Is exactly. That what exactly. Yes. <laughs> and the codes. Uh, I, I wish I had some black op missions. That would be pretty cool. Um, 
you know, the, the story that I think about the most, um, trying to remember all the, all the details, but I'll try to keep it short. Uh, so we were doing this mission. Uh, it was like a three day mission. It was kind of one of those things where we, so we had, we had 24, I think we actually had 28 guys in our platoon. Uh, we had four teams of six guys and then we had some kind of, uh, guys that would help us with like, uh, administrative stuff and, um, and all that. But our teams would deploy. So we'd have two teams go out and then two teams would stay on base and basically be like the uh, QRF, uh, the quick reaction force. So if we got in, you know, if we got into something kind of hot and heavy, you know, we had our platoon guys coming to come get us. And um, so we kind of switched back and forth. And I remember we were on this mission. It was, uh, it was in the middle of the desert. We were basically looking at these roads Well, actually they weren't even roads. They were just basically just this desert area. And our, our mission at the time, I believe, was to basically watch these cars that would come through to see if they had any, like, explosives, if they had any weapons. Um, if I remember, I think they were coming through uh, Syria into Iraq. Um, and then, obviously, you know, we would, we would hide in the, in the desert. We'd build these, like, um, these, like little sniper uh, sand pits, come out and, like, stop the vehicles. And we'd just report and observe anything that we, we noticed that was, you know, not good. So I think it was, like, day two. And we're sitting oh, in no. this, we're sitting in this sniper hide and it was just complete miserable. I mean, a day two, nothing's happening. We didn't even see a vehicle. We didn't even hear anything. We're just sitting there, you know, half of us are like trying to, you know, not fall asleep. There's bug crawling on us. We're just like, what are we doing here? Like, this is ridiculous. And this is day two. So imagine sitting in a hole for two days. Oh my God. Like literally for two days doing nothing. Right. So you try to keep yourself busy, you know, you take naps, you have guys kind of, it just was miserable. I mean, do you guys try to like rub one off in there or like, what, what's the deal? <laughs> uh, like I said, that's, that's like a black op mission we'll have to talk about. Remember later. this is being edited out. <laughs> like you grab call, your buddy's blankie and be like, yeah, 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 just turn the other way real quick. I'm stressed out. You know? Yeah, I mean, I will say we definitely, you know, you had to poop in a bag every once in a while. So you kind of, you know, you just got kind of used to it. somebody rolls over you're like all right i'll just give you some space even though you're only like you know two feet from your buddy you're like yeah. okay, this, is kind of, this is kind of weird but hey well, i guess we're friends now at least you know the mre it's more constipated and solid than it would be probably the runs <laughs> right so at least there's that yeah oh man we had oh that's a different story but we had we had another team a good friend of mine he got dysentery on a mission oh no and, i mean we had we had to exfil him pretty quickly because he was dehydrated um he was, he was shitting himself hole. he was vomiting i mean it was bad so we had we had Poor to bring him back which was a good thing so anyway we're sitting in this pit for two days nothing happens and also we start hearing ak gunfire in the distance and of course like all of us kind of like okay, what just happened? You know, so we're like listening and we hear AK fire again. So we're sitting in this hole in the middle of nowhere. We're like, this is really weird. There's AK fire going on. So we, you know, we start getting our gear on, we start getting on the radio or, you know, we're trying to figure out what's happening. And about, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 minutes later, we just start hearing tons of uh, goat uh, noises, just goats, you know, doing their, you know, all over. And so just so you know, yeah, so just so you know, we're in this sand pit. We have this like netting over us. So it's like a tan netting. So it kind of looks like sand. You know, it's kind of camouflaging us. It's blending us into the sand. And we are now surrounded by over 100 goats. Like literally in the entire desert in Iraq, 
these goats decide they're going to come around our sniper position. So we're sitting Sons in this pit with they all these safe. goats. And we're like, what the hell is happening right now? And then we started hearing, we started hearing Arabic and we're like, oh, oh no. shit, like this is not good. So my team leader, he kind of takes his head and he kind of pops up and he looks and sure enough, there's two, um, Iraqi males just standing there. I mean, they're probably, oh, no. I, I don't know. They're probably 25 feet away from us, but they had no idea where we were there. That's what's so crazy about it is that I guess we were so, we were so camouflaged in the sand. They had no idea. We're like right there. Even when he popped his head up. Yeah. So he kind of popped his head up, uh, not like out of the hole. Cause we had this netting. He just kind of put his head up a little bit and he can kind of see through the netting, but he could mm. see that there was two guys right there. And, you know, we had no idea who these guys were. So anyway, we basically look at each other. We end up all coming out of this, out of this uh, sniper hide. Oh God. And I remember, uh, it turns out it was the dad, the father. He was so petrified. He just stood there. Like, I'm pretty sure he thought we were like the, you know, the, the demons from Allah coming oh, from for you know, sure. hell to come grab him. I mean, he literally was so petrified. He didn't even move. Probably shit in um, his pants. Yeah, he probably did. And then that wasn't his your friend son, with dysentery. Yeah. Then his son started to kind of like run away. So we end up grabbing these guys and putting them down the ground. And, you know, we start doing a 360, trying to look around. And we're just like looking around, kind of going, okay, what's going on here? Like, what's, you know. <laughs> and then sure enough, like a few minutes later, we see another guy, you know, almost probably about, I don't know, 25, maybe 30 yards away. And we see him popping this, his head up. Like he's looking up and then his head's d- uh, down and he pops up. And so we start calling to him to come over to us and he starts running. Oh, he no. just starts booking it. We're like, oh shit, this isn't good. Right. Because on a side note, uh, did you guys ever read the, the book, uh, lone survivor? Yes. No. So the, the very base premise of lone survivor, Keith is, you know, the seal team goes in, in Afghanistan, they get compromised by goat herders. And what they end up doing is they end up leaving. They, they basically let these goat herders go. And they start making their way, uh, getting out because they got compromised. Well, those goat herders end up calling the Taliban to tell them, hey, there's American forces on this mountain. And it ends up oh, being wow. this tragic story with Marcus Luttrell. Operation um, Red Wings. This, yeah, they uh, tons of Navy SEALs get killed. Marcus Luttrell hmm. uh, ends up falling down a mountain. All His whole team gets wiped out. Just a really, really sad story. So we actually read that book on our deployment. It kind of went, it bounced around. So we had all read that book. And so the first thing that comes to our mind is like, oh my God, this is going to be, this is going to be another like lone survivor situation, right? We have goat herders. So we run after this. Did you guys have to like zip tie them up? Like, and just like gather intel? Yeah, we, yep. We zip tied them. We put them down. Uh, We started taking pictures of them and, you know, at that time we're getting on the, um, we're getting on the radio and calling our QRF guys to come get us because we don't know what we're, we're in. You know, we're thinking, right. who are these guys, you know, in the middle of the yeah. desert? What are they doing here? 